Well, happy, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Even if you're not a mother, if you're not a mother, you at least have a mother. We all have that in common, right? Or at least have had a mother. And uh, as even Pastor Liz has mentioned, um, you know, even if we did not have a good mother, we can be thankful for those who God has put in our place to be that motherly role in our lives. Today, I'm going to be preaching from Acts chapter 9 as we continue in the book of Acts, but I was thinking about how, um, what, what is Mother's Day as a Christian, um, how does that kind of have anything to do with what I'm going to preach today, if anything, and, and I really thought about mothers, and I know this is where, uh, as a pastor, I get into trouble I, when I start speaking about things that um, a lot of women would say, you got no clue, pastor, you are a man. And you have not walked in my shoes. And I want to say, just to preface this whole introduction to my sermon, you are right. I have no clue what it's like to be a mother. But I have watched my wife be a mother, and I have a mother, and I have uh, a mother-in-law, and uh, I have grandmothers. And so I've watched a lot of mothers. And as a pastor, I've watched you mothers. And what I have come to realize is what... When I see mothers, um, and when it comes to the message of the gospel, because so the message, of the, I was just praying this, the message of the gospel is that if you repent, if you turn from your wickedness, your own ways, see, we're all sinners, right? Just because you're a mother, you don't get an exemption from sin. You, we're all sinners, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, doesn't matter. You're a sinner in the eyes of God. God is so holy, so great. We're like dust. We're like ants to him. And yet he invites us into relationship with him. But it's through repentance. It's through acknowledging that we are not worthy, that we're sinners. And so when we recognize that, we come to God saying, God, I need you in my life. I need God. I can't do this life on my own. Now, when I observe mothers, I see that the guilt that they carry, now guilt is not always a bad thing. Guilt can become a bad thing if it turns to shame and you live in constant guilt and shame. That's a bad thing. God wants to remove that guilt from you. But guilt can be a good thing when it brings you to Jesus, when it brings you to the foot of the cross and you acknowledge, I am guilty, I need Jesus, right? And so what I recognize in mothers, again, I'm tying in Mother's Day here, is that often their sins... They carry around guilt when it comes to the sins of their children. Am I right or am I wrong? Do mothers look at their children and say, I wish I could have done this better? You ever felt that as a mother? Okay, yeah, all right, we're getting some voices back. Yep, I wish I could have done better. I can't believe, I didn't I raise you better? Is, is, and then we look, and the, not we, because I'm not a mother, but as a parent, I can say this, we look at our children or mothers look at their children and they say, I must have done something wrong when our children fail. Here's the reality, though, is this. You couldn't do anything perfect to make your children perfect. They are born into sin the same way you were born into sin, and so they were going to fail before they even come into the world. The Bible says that we're born into sin. A perfect example I'll give you is of my two-year-old um, 
some of the leaders of the church would know we've been making a, an attempt to try to keep the children from just climbing everywhere and on the stage and on the altar rails and prayer rails, and, and we're trying to keep them in the back. And this morning, I'm like, there's my perfect sermon illustration is my two-year-old. She's two, and no matter what you tell her, how much you try, she's going to do exactly what we've told her not to. Don't do that! And, of course, you saw Anna Claire, two years old, just hanging. So I appreciate your grace. We're trying to teach her. We don't want her doing that. We don't want her running around everywhere. We want respect in the sanctuary and all of that. However, it's a perfect illustration, right? I'm sure all of you have tried to teach your children, those of you who have had children, you know, to walk a certain way. If, you're, if, you, if you haven't had children yet, you can remember when your parents told you to do something and everything in you started rising up to say, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to learn this lesson on my own. And then parents are like, are you sure you want to learn this lesson on your own? And it's like, um, when I was a boy, we had at one point on the farm, we had um, an electric fence. And it's like, don't touch the electric fence. And as a boy, a young boy, you're like, well, why not? And so you touch the electric fence and you learn the hard way that that thing shocks you. And it shocks you pretty hard and knocks you off your feet a little bit if you grab it the right way. And, uh, and so we learn these lessons. But when I'm watching mothers... I see that often their failures in life revolve around their children. And I want to say there's two things about that. It tells me a lot that I don't think men struggle with that as much. Um, and men struggle with their own sin more than the sins of their children. Not to say that men don't struggle with the sins of their children. They do. But they can brush those things off more. And they, um, they're struggling more with their own things. But women... They, they often think about the, 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 those God has entrusted them to raise up. And when they feel as though they've failed, um, the good thing is it brings them to the foot of the cross. The bad thing is that you shouldn't, as a mother, you shouldn't carry that weight. That there's, um, in the book of Genesis, actually it says this, that um, a, a woman leaves her family and marries a man to, and, and cleaves to him. And this picture of cleave is like holding on to another man. So she leaves her parents to go and join another family, start her own family. And so what, what that's giving us the picture of a family is that um, you've, at some point, you've done your job. And it's, all, it's not your responsibility anymore. And I believe that we need to remind ourselves as parents, I, I'm, I'm still going through it, but some of you will have to remind me when my kids are that age 18 and older, you know, you've done a good job, pastor, now, you know, you need to trust God with them. And, and I'm telling, even though I'm not there yet, I'm telling you who have adult children, you trust God with your kids. You leave them to Jesus and you pray for them. There's nothing like parents and grandparents who pray for their kids. I believe many people are in the kingdom of heaven because they've had godly parents and godly grandparents who've prayed for them. But we're going to look at the book of Acts, and I'm going to tie in this idea of repentance, but then move it towards something more. There is more than just feeling godly sorrow. See, godly sorrow brings about repentance. The kindness of the Lord brings about repentance. When a mom recognizes her failures and she goes to Jesus, that's a good thing. When a, when a father does the same thing, it's a good thing. But there's more than that. We're going to see in this chapter how, how um, 
people were taught two, one baptism first, and it was John's baptism. Now, you can imagine, before Jesus' ministry started, John the Baptist was gaining this big ministry. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, which means John was preaching a message, repent and believe, repent and turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. And, 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 and then he pointed to Jesus after that. But what he first started his message was, you need to turn from your sins. You need to turn from your sins. That's the primary message. But there's something that comes after that. Now, Paul's going to allude to that because some people in the early churches had only heard about the need to repent. Repentance is important. Don't get me wrong. But it's just the start. Then we move on to a second baptism, which we're going to read about here today. A second baptism. Okay. Well, let's read it and you'll, you'll hear about it. Acts chapter 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, where he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, uh, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Excuse me. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men at all. So up until this point... They had only heard one message, and that was the message of repentance. And Paul comes along, he says, have you heard the, the, the other part of the message that you need to hear? That Jesus came, died for your sins, and that he promised to give you the Holy Spirit. Uh, dare I say it, the, this, this message, the, the mistake in this message happens still today, that some churches uh, or pastors get into a... a a theme that they only like to preach one part of the Bible or, or one message continually and have it kind of on loop. And uh, to be honest with you, I've been guilty of that and sometimes where I like to say some of the same things. And so if you've ever said, oh, pastor, we've heard you say that before, just remind me because I don't remember what I've always said before or not said before. But, but messages, unfortunately, sometimes people only hear one part of the message. But the reality is God has, God's got this whole book and there's an entire message. And yes, it, the baptism that John offered of repentance is one that Jesus preached as well, that we need to repent. But there was another message that needed to come alongside that and that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That you can be filled with the Spirit of God. God's Spirit can come upon you. So I find it interesting, right after that, Paul baptizes them. And then they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had the privilege of baptizing people, and it's amazing. Sometimes I will baptize people, and they'll be like, did you feel that? And I'm like, no. (laughs) But they felt something. They felt the Holy Spirit come upon them. I remember when I was baptized, a woman, an elderly woman in the church came up to me and said, did you feel anything? And I said, no. Does that mean just because I didn't feel anything, does that mean I didn't get the Holy Spirit? I'm going to say, no, 
the Holy Spirit isn't always just a feeling. The Holy Spirit can be a feeling. Um, this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but I got my voice kind of started getting choked up, and a few tears came in my eyes as I was praising and worshiping God. I attribute that to the Holy Spirit. When my best friend was getting married to his beautiful bride, their names are Luke and Leanne, uh, Leanne was crying her eyes out. And it wasn't because she didn't want to marry Luke. <laughs> she could have easily just said no if she was crying tears of confusion and remorse. She was not crying that. She was crying because she was so happy and she had tears of joy. And I remember the preacher telling her, don't worry, everyone. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon Leanne. And I was like, whoa, yeah, that's so true. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're crying. Here in this scripture, the Holy Spirit comes upon them when the people have laid, Paul has laid hands on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Prophecy is the ability to speak the truths of God that you never were aware of. I would say there's been times where I've preached and I've said things and people, pastor, uh, people have said to me, pastor, I can't believe you said that. Where'd you get that from? And I'm like, I don't know. It came from the Bible, came from heaven. It came from the Holy Spirit. And I believe that when I preach the Holy Spirit, preaches through me, speaks to you. I know people hear messages sometimes that I'm not even preaching. The Spirit speaks to them as I'm talking, it, and, the, and, and they're like, oh, I got this out of your message. And I'm like, I don't even really, I didn't really talk about that very much. But they heard from the Holy Spirit. That's what prophecy is, is hearing the words of God. Sometimes it's future, right? In the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke, they often were trying to predict the future. That's prophecy. But prophecy doesn't have to be predicting the future. It could be the truths of God speaking to you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just the simple words from God that he loves you can be a prophetic word to someone. Because they needed to hear that. They have not felt love. And they needed to feel that love. Tongues is an interesting one. Tongues is speaking in a language that you don't understand. In certain parts of the scripture, it alludes to tongues as speaking to God in a heavenly language, in prayer language. In other parts of the scripture, which we've already read in the book of Acts, tongues is used to communicate in people's languages where they don't speak that. I don't speak Chinese. I don't speak um, uh, Arabic. I don't speak um, Spanish. But if I was ever in a situation where I was communicating with someone and they spoke in a different language and God really wanted to communicate the gospel to them, I believe God could give me the ability to speak in their language. Some people even say maybe the, person, the people were speaking in their own language but hearing in another. These are miracles that come by the Spirit of God. See, if God is truly God, God could do whatever he wants. If you don't think God could do that, then I don't think you really believe in God because God is the creator of the universe, created something out of nothing. You're like, I don't believe in miracles. I'll tell you, the fact that there is a world is a miracle. Even scientists don't know where matter comes from and have to believe in a thing called the bang, Big Bang. And I have a friend, he's an apologist. He argues on behalf of creation that God created the world. And he said, well, then who banged it? Who banged it? Who created it? So if you can believe that God at least did one miracle, you can believe that God can do multiple miracles, like dying on the cross, but then rising from the dead. That's the most important miracle that we believe as Christians. We know we're, we're alive. We know we've been created. But did Jesus rise from the dead? That's the most important miracle that we believe as believers because we believe in a God who can defeat death, who has power over life and death. 
Why am I saying this? I, because if we believe that God created, we believe that God resurrected, can we believe that God has the power to do miracles, to give us the ability to hear messages from God or to speak in other languages? This is the gift of tongues and prophecy. This is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is a supernatural act, which means it's above the natural realm. I think as Christians, sometimes we live too much in the natural. John's baptism, when John baptized people into repentance, that's a natural baptism. What do I mean by that? There's nothing supernatural that needs to take place for you to recognize you're a sinner. Some people might argue that, that you need to humble yourself and you need to eliminate your pride and you need to come to God. And yeah, I think that there's an act of God that's happening, but you have to partner with God to give him the ability to give you his spirit. And when his spirit comes upon you, something supernatural happens. I can remember when I was experiencing some of these experiences for the first time as a teenager. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. And then I started pursuing God, and I started reading scriptures like this. Okay, well, there's this water baptism, but what about this spiritual baptism? I remember calling out to God, God, is there more? And it started with just me lifting my hand in worship. That was the first thing. It's like, God, you want me to lift my hand in worship? I, I'm going to feel weird. I'm going to be one of those kooky Christians who just is a little more charismatic. And I lifted my hand in worship, and I could sense the Spirit coming to me. And then th other things started changing in my life where the Spirit would come upon me, and I'd feel in my stomach like butterflies, like really nervous. And I was like, why am I getting this in church? I normally get this when I'm about to take a test, or I normally get this when I'm about to play some sports and I really want to perform well. But why am I getting this in church? And then I would he hear God tell me, I want you to talk in church. I want you to get up and say something. And so we'd have testimony time in our church, and I'd get up and I'd say something. And I'd start crying as I'm saying something. And then the little old ladies in the church would say, oh, pastor, oh, I wasn't pastor at the time. Oh, Thomas, that was so beautiful. I didn't understand a word you said, but thank you for sharing. I could tell that God was touching you. I was like, okay, so that's what was happening. And then I kept pursuing, I kept pursuing. And I'll tell you, the experience that Paul placed hands on people and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, I've had experiences where God has given me the ability to speak and pray in a language I don't understand. And I know that's kooky and strange. And I'll admit, when it happened to me, it was strange. But I'm glad it has happened to me. I'm glad the Spirit of God comes upon me. And actually, I think if you desire God's Spirit to come upon you, He can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He can change your life. Paul entered, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe the, and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and, discussed, uh, and had discussions daily um, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him 
were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirits answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who are you? Then the man who had an evil spirit, jumped up on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly, When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 15,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Eratus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Going to stop there. What a crazy story. So Paul is laying hands on people. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. People are getting healed. People, miracles are happening so much that Paul has a handkerchief and they pass it around and anyone who touches the handkerchief gets healed. Amazing, right? It's interesting because I've seen, uh, you ever seen kooky televangelists? You know, you turn on the TV and the guy's saying, buy my holy water and you'll be healed or, or buy this cloth. You know, it's straight of the scripture. Oh, buy this cloth and, and this will happen to you. You know, health, wealth, and prosperity. It's interesting that they're doing that because they're doing that to earn money, to make a name for themselves, for fame. And when Paul's doing it, he's only doing it to preach the kingdom of God so that people will come to know God. What happens after this? We see some copycats. We see these seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest. These seven sons go around and start replicating the same thing. They start doing the same things Paul was doing. And so they run into a demon-possessed man, and the demon-possessed man says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And it's funny, I wonder if the people who mimic um, healing signs on the TV, the televangelists who pretend Um, to heal people. I wonder if they read the scripture because in the scripture, there's such a danger involved in trying to mimic. These seven sons of Sceva try to mimic the move of God and they can't do what God can do. And the demon replies to them, I don't know you. You know what that tells me? It reminds me of when Jesus says there's gonna be in the last days when the day of judgment comes, there's gonna be some people who come to God and say, um, Why can't we enter the kingdom of heaven? And God will say, get away from me. I never knew you. Knowing God is what's important. And so you can can pretend all you want that miracles come about. You can pretend all you want like you know God, but truly knowing God is where the power really comes from. And these men had no power because they truly didn't know God. 
You can't pretend the Holy Spirit. Well, people try. People try to fake tongues. People try to fake healings. People try to fake the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that right in the same chapter, Acts chapter 19, we see a real move of God right with a fake move of God. Isn't this a good warning for us, church? Who wants the real thing? I want the real thing. I don't want the fake thing. You shouldn't fake it. I've been in prayer services like, oh, I'm just going to lay all my hands on you and make sure you fall over, right? Like, well, maybe they don't say make sure you fall over, but they're like, you know, trying to make the God thing happen, you know, and, and, and you're going to speak in tongues, and so just copy after me. That's, that's not how tongues work. I don't see in Scripture where they said, oh, and they copied what Paul said in order to speak in tongues. That's not how it works. It's God coming upon people. This is something special, something supernatural. I'm wondering how I started the sermon when it comes to being a mother and how John's baptism was about repentance and, and, and how moms often feel guilt about the lives of their children. But maybe... Mothers, the answer to a mother's guilt is similarly to what Paul's saying, is that you need more than just John's baptism. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, moms. You can't just have the one. You will live in guilt and shame if you only hear the message of that you need to repent for the things you've failed. You need the Spirit of God to come and touch you and tell you you're loved. Um, Jesus himself said there needs to be more than just one baptism. Jesus says in John chapter 3 to a man named Nicodemus, he says in verse 5, John chapter 3 verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they were born of water and, uh, and the Spirit. Water symbolizes the baptism of repentance. So you need to repent first. So it's still important that you repent, but then you need the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you should be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going so is every, with, it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, here's the hope. Yes, we fail. Yes, as mothers, I know there are many mothers who feel that guilt and that shame about how things have gone in their life. Or maybe a, a child and their relationship with their mother has failed. And, and there are those moments of guilt and shame. And we need to come to God. We need to come to the foot of the cross. We need to repent. But the promise is more than just feeling bad about the things we've done. The promise is that God's spirit will then come take over our lives. He'll pour his spirit in us and he'll start doing a work. Now, what might that look like in terms of relationships with mother and their children or parents and their children? God can do a miracle. God can do miraculous things in people's lives. The Spirit of God needs to be the one who does the work, though. You cannot do it. You need the Spirit of God 
in your life. You need a baptism of the Holy Spirit to renew your hope in the areas where you felt you failed. Forget about just parenting. Any area where you failed. You need to believe that God can do a miracle, that he can pour out his spirit in your life, and maybe he'll, he'll give you a message, which we would say is a word of prophecy, even over yourself or over a, your spouse or your children. Maybe you could speak. Maybe you'll learn to pray more powerfully, which might include speaking in another tongue. Could you believe that God could do that in your life? But what I advise you not to do, as we've seen in this chapter, don't fake it. Don't try to make it happen without the Spirit of God coming upon you. Invite the Spirit to do it. Don't try to be something you're not. We don't want to be like the seven sons of Sceva who get beat up and are bleeding and running around naked because a demon-possessed man put it to us because we aren't authentic to who God has called us to be. But I believe the Spirit of God wants to do miracles in our lives. We need more than just one baptism. The water baptism, being baptized in Jesus' name is important, but the Holy Spirit comes upon us. and You need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Let's do that now. Let's invite the Spirit of God to come into our lives. Holy Spirit, we see in this Scripture about how people had not heard of who you are, Holy Spirit. They heard that it's important to repent, and Lord, we do repent, we do turn from our ways, and we do want to follow you. But following you means that we get the Holy Spirit too. Help us to not forget you, Holy Spirit. Help us to seek you, Holy Spirit. And even now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to pour yourself out into our lives. That we would see your miracles, that people would be healed, that your message would be preached, that relationships would be restored. And as it's Mother's Day, Lord, I particularly pray for the relationships between a mother and her children. Pray for all the mothers here in our church, Lord, that they would not feel any more guilt or shame for any failures that they've felt in their past as mothers. Holy Spirit, would you wash them clean from that guilt and that shame? Would you restore to them the joy of just knowing you, God, that no matter what they have done as mothers, that these children are ultimately yours? And I pray that they would be able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, surrender their children to you, God. And Lord, we're all children. We all have a mother. And so, Lord, if we have a mother who's hurt us in any way, help us to forgive our mothers. Help us to love our mothers. Even if they've passed from this life into the next life, Lord, help us to forgive and love them and honor and cherish them in our hearts. Thank you for our mothers. Lord, would we live a life filled with the Spirit of God to bring those mothers honor? So Holy Spirit, come now. Fill us. Encourage us. Help us to live a life worthy of you. Holy Spirit, give us the fruit of the Spirit. 
Give us love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And help us to share you, Holy Spirit. Would you overflow out of our lives into the lives of those around us? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.